According to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, that believers are to make a defense for the hope that you have. Also Philippians chapter 1 verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We are commanded to defend the word of God, the context of the word of God, and the purity of the word of God. This is the defender of the word of God. Good evening, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends. We are so excited today. Tonight is December the 27th, Wednesday, 2017. And we're about to come up on the end of the year of 2017 and launching the 2018. And we are so, so excited about it. Just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all of those who are tuning in to The Defender week after week, taking time out of your busy schedule to come in and sit with us and allow God to speak to us emphatically in his word. We are so, so very thankful for that. So we hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. We hope that your holiday has been awesome and it's been wonderful. Hopefully you've had some time to get some respite and catch up with family and friends and loved ones. We pray that it's been a blessing for you. Now we want to say a special thank you to the Resilient Christian Radio Network for allowing us to come on week after week and to be able to present these broadcasts to you. We thank our family and friends and the international audience and our home-based folk. We thank you for coming in week after week and being able to just open up your, your Bibles and open up the Word of God and allow God to speak to you and teach you and to give you power that you may live a victorious life. So we are so very thankful for that. Now tonight we are continuing on in our sessions. We've been dealing last week, we talked about the kingdom of God and we gave out some specific questions in regards to the kingdom of God. So we're kind of staying in that vein and we're going to continue to let God speak to us and the Holy Spirit guide us as to what he wants to present and give us for living. So let's take a moment and let's go before the throne room in prayer. Can we do that? Can y'all pray with me on this evening? All right, let's do that. Father, we thank you for the broadcast. We thank you for the listening audience. More than anything, we thank you for being who you are. Now, God, we're asking in the name of Jesus that you would just penetrate our thoughts and our mind, get rid of old concepts and ideas. Father, thank you that we'll receive the fresh rhema of your word, the newness of your word into our spirit, that we may grow and be edified. Father, we pray a special blessing on all of the listeners that are tuning in tonight. Father, do something deep inside their spirit so they can make a deeper connection with you. I pray that you remove me, that you may come forward and you may give clarity to your word. We thank you, Father, and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So hopefully you agree with that, because how many people out there know that there is so much power in agreement, so much power in agreement. So as we stated, we left off talking about the kingdom of God. And so if I was going to title this at all tonight of where we are, we want to be very descriptive 
of what we're talking about. And so the title of tonight's broadcast would be Religion Will Kill You, But the Kingdom Will Save You. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm going to say it one more time. I want you to hear me clearly. So the title of this broadcast tonight is called Religion Will Kill You, But the Kingdom Will Save You. And so we're going to get into this and give you a backdrop of where we're coming from so you can understand what we mean by this title and what we're going to expose in that. So you know how we do on The Defender. If you're coming on this broadcast, you know you need what? A Bible. That's the first thing you need. You need the Word of God. So I'm going to give you a minute to get yours. I have mine right here in front of me. And I know you can use smartphones and everything else you want to use. As long as you got the word in front of you, it'd be good for you to have some uh, paper and pencil too so that you can uh, study, go back, and, and really dig into this thing for yourself. Because, listen, you're only going to get as far as your study habits will take you. I'll say that again. You're only going to get as far as your study habits will take you. The word says you got to apply these things that you learn. You got to study to show yourself approved. You yourself have to dig in there and find out what is God saying about you. So that's why when we come on this broadcast, we are intent on finding out the truth, exposing it for what it is, and then laying it out so we can get built up by what God is speaking. So. We asked a few questions on the last broadcast, and we was talking about the kingdom of God. How many people have heard that phrase over and over again? Now, I'm going to ask you this. How many people have had questions about what do they mean when people say that? A lot of, a lot of language in uh, church circles or in religious uh, circles do not equate to what people on the outside identify with. So a lot of the language and terminology can lose us, but we're going to make things clear tonight. We're going to make things really clear tonight and give you a concrete understanding of what we mean. So the question here is, ask, is where you're talking about this kingdom, God, so where is the kingdom? How many people have asked that? So that's the first question that we're asking tonight. We're asking, where is the kingdom? If you say that religion kills, but the kingdom saves, then I want to be saved. And I don't want to follow something that's going to eventually kill me. I want to follow something that's going to give me life. So you say the kingdom saves, then I for one want to know where is this kingdom that you're talking about. So that's the first question is where is the kingdom? And the answer is this. The kingdom of God resides in your spirit. I'm going to say that one more time. The kingdom of God resides in your spirit. Let's turn to the book of Luke chapter 17. Can you turn there? Let's turn there. All right, I'm almost there. Pray that you're there. 
So here in the book of Luke, chapter 17, that's where we are, and we're going to go up here. All right, I think I'm in here. Okay. So we said what? The kingdom of God is within you. That's what we said. The kingdom of God is within you. And so many people want to understand, well, what, does, what do you mean when you say the, the kingdom of God is within you? Well, that's, that's a question that many people ask. They ask that and they want to know what does that mean and, and how can I find out what you're talking about when you say the kingdom of God is within you. So this is something that many people are questioning and many people are asking. They want to know about that. They want to know what does it mean when you say that? So we are in the book of Luke. Are you there? All right, you're there. So we're in the book of Luke, and we're going to go to verse, let's start in verse 20, because you know you've got to always get a proper context when you're coming up with a conclusion. So in Luke, 20, Luke 17, verse 20, this is Jesus. He's teaching on something to the people. Now, he has just healed somebody. It was 10 lepers, people that had been ostracized and didn't know anything about being healed and being grafted into the things of God. They've been ostracized, and the Lord has healed them. So he's continuing on teaching in his message. So in verse 20, he says, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, we talked about those. These are, these are religious folks. These are people who are very strict adherence to religious codes and morals and uh, things that are pertaining to law, very strict in their observation of things and in how they teach things. So this is what they're talking about. So he says when he was demanded, now they demanded him of the Pharisees, they said, listen, when the kingdom of God should come, they ask it, when is this kingdom? That's what we want to know. When is the kingdom? Where is this kingdom? What does this happen? Uh, and so Jesus answered them. He, he said, listen, he said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. What does that mean? That means that you can't find the kingdom by looking for it in external circumstances. Let me, let me say that one more time. You cannot find the kingdom of God by looking for it with external circumstances. What do you mean by that? I mean it's not by observing things by what you see with your natural eyes. Did you get that? So you want to know where, where is this kingdom that we're talking about. If you say religion kills but the kingdom will save you, then you want to know where is this kingdom that you're talking about. So Jesus is telling us. Now this is the key verse and this is 21. Verse 21 in there. He says, neither shall they say, lo here, or look here. Look at here. This is where the kingdom is. He said, they're not going to say that. Or he said, they're not going to say, oh, look, it's over there. Go look over there. That's where it is. See, he's dealing with natural sight. And then he says, for behold. Now, when you see that word behold, he's telling you, stop, pause, listen, Stop doing everything you're doing and understand what I'm getting ready to say to you. So he's saying, behold, that means you got to look and listen intently on what 
he is saying because he's getting ready to make a statement that's extremely important and very, very powerful. He said, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. I'm going to repeat that. He said the kingdom of God is within you. So that should answer my question, your question. That should answer our question. When we say, where is this kingdom? You keep hearing people talk about the kingdom, and you're asking, where is this kingdom? Jesus, our Lord, has just made it emphatically clear that the kingdom is within you. So we understand, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, that the message of the kingdom, it is the least preached but most important message known for mankind. I'm going to repeat that again. Basically, I'm saying this. The message of the kingdom is the least talked about, but it's the most important message for you and me. All right, it says... His first words, now this was Jesus, his first words were, repent for the kingdom of God is at, he came out the gate, which straight out the gate. So what does it do for you and me, family and friends, ladies and gentlemen? It says that, it, listen, it lets us know that in order to receive the kingdom, we've got to change our lifestyle. We've got to change our mind, our way of thinking feeling, and perceiving. Our overall life has to be radically changed in order to receive this kingdom. So yes, it's more than just changing your mind on something. People change their mind all day, every day. You want to go to the store, you don't want to go to the store. You want to go make run an errand, you don't want to run an errand. You put on this set of jeans, you take them off, you're going to put on another set. So you change your mind all day long. But when you're talking about the kingdom of God, when you're talking about repent, that is deeper than just change your mind. It means your entire being has to be changed. Did you get that? It's, there's no lukewarm halfway way to do it. That means your entire being has to change because it's going on in the inside of your laboratory. That means that your entire outlook on life, your lifestyle, your habits, things that you do, things that you are accustomed to doing, ways that you are accustomed to living that's outside of the confines of how God wants us to live, we have got to change that. So you can't keep living as a, as, as a hellion and think you're going to inhabit the benefits of living in the kingdom. I'm going to say that again. You can't continue to live your life dictated by the confines of hellacious living or sinful living and think that you're going to inherit the promises of the kingdom. It does not work like that. So I don't know who it may be that's out here teaching all of these different things to make you think that you can keep living any kind of way and be able to walk in this kingdom, it's not happening. It's not so. And the only way we know about it is we got to get into God's word and see what does he have to say in regards to our lifestyle. Did you get that? 
So now we've answered that question, where is the kingdom? You know now that it's in your spirit. So with this, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, is a kingdom concept. So let's define that, okay? Let's look at that. So concept, let's look at this. A concept is an idea formed in the mind, and it is also a plan. I'm going to repeat that. We're talking about the kingdom concept. So a concept, C-O-N-S-E-P-T, a concept is an idea formed in the mind and is also a plan. So the kingdom concept is a God idea, and it is also a God plan. And in this kingdom is where a king rules and has his administration. So we understand that. Also, the kingdom of God is a radical, transformational idea birthed in the mind of God. So we understand that. Also, the kingdom of God is a reality that you must be born into in order to see it. Did you get that? See, these Pharisees back in Luke 17 and 20, they were demanding to, for Jesus to tell him when the kingdom is coming. But they was looking on the outside. But here we understand that this kingdom of God is a reality that you got to be born into it in order to see it. I'll prove it to you. Let's go to the scripture. Let's go to the book of John, chapter 3. Book of John, chapter 3. Let's turn there real quick. I pray this is resonating with your spirit and making sense to you. So we're in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 3. Now, the backdrop of this story, there's a man, and we've talked about it on several broadcasts, named Nicodemus, and he is a teacher of the law. He is a teacher. He's somebody that knows the word. He knows the word. He's been taught, but he's standing in front of the word, which is Jesus Christ himself. And so he is trying to figure out how this kingdom thing is going to work. How am I going to be born again? How am I going? How is this going to happen? So here was the man named Nicodemus. Let's start in verse 3. There's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jew. This is somebody who had a lot of prominence, a lot of importance. He was a man that was in leadership. And so he came to Jesus by night. I'm in verse 2. And he said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. He said, teacher. He said, listen, we know that you're a teacher. And we know you come from God. He said, because listen, no man can do these miracles that you're doing except that God be with him. And then Jesus answered and said unto him, he said, listen, Verily, verily, that means truly, truly. He said, listen, Nicodemus, I'm saying unto you, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you get that? So here, listen to what Nicodemus is saying. All he said was, we know that you have come from God. Why do we know? It's because you've done miracles. But Jesus went right past that. He didn't even address that at all because what Nicodemus was asking was how can these things take place? And Jesus knew his thought behind that. 
So to answer him, remember it said Jesus answered. So he's answering a question that this man is asking. But the question that the man is asking is veiled in language. Because he never said, how can I be born again right off the gate? He just said, we know that you're a teacher, and we know you come from God, and we know nobody can do the miracles that you do unless God is with him. So the Lord is incredibly intelligent. So he goes right to the course of it and says, listen, a man, he said, you cannot see this kingdom I'm talking about unless you be born again, or that word should be born anew. That means you got to have a new nature. So the real word for born again is born anew. It means, yes, you and I, family and friends, we must have a new nature in order to participate in this realm of living. Now, with all of that said, we understand where the kingdom of God is. There are enemies of the kingdom message. I will say that one more time. There are enemies of the kingdom message. Several of these are thus. Ignorance is an enemy of the kingdom message. Tradition is an enemy of the kingdom message. Doubt is an enemy of the kingdom message. Unbelief is an enemy of the kingdom message. And one of the most powerful ones that exists on the planet today and has been forever and the day is the spirit of religion or a religious spirit. I'm going to say that again. One of the most powerful enemies of the kingdom message is the religious spirit. I hope you got that. Religion, and this is why we titled this broadcast, Religion Will Kill You, But the Kingdom Will Save You. So we're going to pick up this story here. We're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 9, and we're going to see how this thing operates. Let's go there. The book of Acts chapter 9. Turning in my Bible, I pray you're turning in yours. We're going to get to the bottom of this thing tonight. Because there are many people that are contractually bound by religion and has not understood what this kingdom of God is really all about. So we're in the book of chapter 9. I mean, in the book of uh, Acts chapter 9. All right, that's where we are. Are you there yet? Okay, I'm praying. I'm trying to get there. Give me a second. All right. I am in the book of Acts in chapter 9 is where we're going. This is a very familiar story. This is a, a story that talks about a man whose name was Saul and got turned into Paul the apostle. And it talks about how his transformation took place. So we're just going to pick up a couple of points here to, to show what we mean when we say that religion will kill you, but the kingdom will save you. So we're in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 9, and we're going to go here. Let's pick up a little bit and, and back it up just a bit. All right, we're going to start in verse 17. Now what has happened is 
the law. Let's start at 15, okay, because this is, this is what Paul has done. He is a man that has been taught by religion all his life. He is very powerful in that, has been schooled in religion all of his life. He was the top of his class, the best of the best, but he was a very strict and religious man. So he would bind up people that were beginning to believe the kingdom message. People that were receiving God, people that was receiving the Lord, he was trying to bind them up and cast them into prison and eventually leading to the murder of a lot of Christian people, people that just wanted to walk with the Lord. So he had a radical transformation. And here's the Lord intervening, talking about what he's going to do with this man. So in verse 15 it says, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way. He's talking to a man he sent to go lay hands on him. He said, listen, go your way. He said, this man here, look, he's a chosen vessel unto me. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel. He said, I'm going to show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17 says, and Ananias went his way and entered to the house and put his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared to thee in the way as thou came, he sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, he said, and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose, and then what? He was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. Okay, so now this transformation is taking place. He is, he is taking off the coat of religion. Did you get that? All of that religion has been stripped off of him because they were like scales. So what does that tell you and me? This spirit of religion will blind you to the reality of the kingdom. I'm going to say that one more time. This thing that's called religion, it will shroud you. It will cover you. It will bind you. It will blind you to the reality of the kingdom. So let's look at verse 20. What happened then? So it says, and straightway, what did Paul do? He preached Christ in the synagogues. So he preached Christ in the churches, in the religious places that they had. Because they had buildings, but they didn't have Christ. What does that mean? I'm going to say it like this. They had religion, but they didn't have Jesus. Oh, my God. Did you hear that? They had religion, but they did not have the one who personifies why they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And that's what's happening a lot today. So it says in 21, but all that heard him were amazed and he and said, he said, listen. Is not this the person that destroyed them which called on this name? What is this name? This name is Christ. Okay? Isn't this the same God that used to destroy people who called on this name in Jerusalem? And then he comes over here with the intent that he can bring them bound into chief priests? And then verse 22 says, but listen, Saul, he increased the more in strength. So he kept getting stronger because that kingdom message was in his spirit now. He had been born anew. He had received a new nature. So now he's getting stronger and stronger. And as he's getting stronger, it says what? He confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. 
proving that this is very Christ. So he was confounded. When you confound somebody, that means if there's an argument going on, you win the argument. You make it to where they got nothing else to say. You totally approve your point. So here was this man that used to arrest people for the kingdom message. Now he is embodied as a vessel to contain the kingdom message. And he's confounding them. So this is what it says in 23. Here we are. We get to the key point. It says, and after that many days were fulfilled. Look at what it says. It says the Jews took counsel to kill him. Verse 24, but their laying awake was known of Saul. How did he know that they was laying for him? See, when you are filled with the kingdom message, God will give you discernment to know who is out to kill you. I'm going to say that one more time. When you have been engrafted and you are embodied with the kingdom message, God himself will give you the ability to discern and know who is out to kill you. Because it says their laying in wait was known of Saul. He knew that they was laying in the cut, consulting on how they was going to get rid of him. It says, and they watched the gates day and night to do what? To kill him. Verse 25 says, then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. So he was able to escape. Do you get that? See, God will always alert you to those that are coming to try to kill the message that's in your spirit. And this is what we see right now. In this kingdom message, the spirit of religion is what they had. They were locked up in this religious spirit. And the religious spirit will always come and try to kill the kingdom. That's why you can't get caught up in religion. What is religion in its blanket state? You might ask that question, what is it? When it's talking about terms of spiritual things, when it's talking about in terms of the person that should be on the inside of why we do what we do, if an individual is full of religion and they're doing things by the spirit of religion, that means they are doing things without the enjoyment of Christ being the center. Did you get that? I'm going to say it one more time. That means they can do things. How does that look? That look like it's the right thing. It looks like it's the good thing to do, but it's devoid. It does not have Christ in it. The Lord Jesus is not involved in it. His spirit is not involved. That means you can do things that look good and you can do them because they just seem to be the right thing to do. You can be doing things in a traditional way for years and years. How many people know that that's true? You walk into certain circumstances or situations and people are doing things just because it's a tradition, but they've lost the enjoyment of it. You can be in a church and they can be doing things just because it's a tradition, but Christ is not even in it. So that's what we mean when we say religion. Religion will kill the function of the spirit. I'm going to say that one more time. Did you get that? Religion will kill the function of the spirit. 
So we got to understand that when we're talking about ignorance, in Acts chapter 19, it talks about that. People that were believers and didn't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. We can talk about tradition in Matthew chapter 15, 8, and 9. You can read that, and you can find out how uh, tradition will keep people locked in this thing that's called religion. We can talk about doubt in James chapter 1, verse 6. You can go there and look at that. So doubt will show that you are locked up in religion and keep you from the kingdom message. So we must understand one of the main keys here, and we spoke about it, and we want to really open this up tonight so you can get an understanding and clearly know where your warfare is coming from. So it's called this thing the religious spirit, and we've been talking about it. So let's get some background on this thing. First of all, let's go to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, let's go there. Can we do that? We're going to go to 2 Timothy. I'm turning in my Bible. You're turning in yours or flipping through your phone, whichever one is quicker for you. So we're going to go here because we really need to get an understanding. So let's go here. We're going to go to the book of 2 Timothy. All right? 2 Timothy. And we're going to turn over here. And we're going to go to chapter 3. All right? Chapter 3. Let's start right there. Okay? So he's talking about the last days. He's talking about things that we are seeing. Now, if you and I have been paying any attention to what's going on in current affairs, we can see that everything is amped up like a hundred times what it was yesterday. It's like every day something is, is amped up um, even more. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got a little frog in my throat. Okay. Someone don't want me to get this kingdom message out, but I bind it. All right. So, uh, verse through, uh, chapter 3, he's talking about perilous times. So, let's look at this. All right, so verse 3, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Verse 2, this is very critical. We need to hear this. It says, For men shall be what? Lovers of their own selves. Now, do you see that today? I would say check. Covetous. What does covetous mean? That means somebody all want, always wants to cover something in somebody else. If somebody has a, a new car, then you want to covet their car. If they have something, you know, a, a, a good relationship, you want to covet their relationship. That means you want what they have. You try to go and take by subtle means what they have. I see that happen. It says boasters. That means people that are always boasting about whatever they have or whoever they are. We see that. Proud. I've never seen such times where the proud spirit is parading through society like it is today. Yes, proud. It says blasphemous. What does that mean? That means that people that openly curse God and curse the things of God. They ridicule the things of God. They ridicule things that we know through Scripture and through the natural course of things, it's right, but they denounce it, and they blaspheme it. That means that they speak ill against it. Do you see that happening? I see it happening. Then he says what? Disobedient to parents. 
Do you see that? I know I see that. That's happening. Disobedience to parents at an all-time high. Unthankful, unholy. Then it just keeps on going without natural affection. Do you see that? Yes, we see that. Truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded people, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Then verse 5 is the kicker right here. It says, they having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Did you hear that? So all of those things that we just named, family and friends, ladies and gentlemen, all of those things that we just mentioned, they can have a form of godliness. I'm going to let that sink in. Everything that we talked about, they can have a form of godliness. This is that religious spirit. Now, why is it that they can have a form of godliness and not really be detected? Well, we're going to talk about it. So it says here, we are in the book of Acts, and we just read chapter 9 and 23. We talked about how religion sought to kill the man called Saul, who eventually became Paul, because he preached the kingdom message. So we'll go here and find out a little bit more. Let's go to the book of Genesis, and I want to show you. Let's go to the book of Genesis. I want to show you, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, that this thing that we're talking about, when we're talking about how religion will kill, but the kingdom saves, it's not going to do it in an open manner. Did you hear that? It's not going to do it in an open manner. Turn to the book of Genesis. Let's go to chapter 3. And this is going to help you define it and help you locate it so you know. So in the book of Genesis, we're going to chapter 3. Are you there yet? Now, we're talking about the characteristics of how an individual can be manipulated or be tricked into following this spirit that's called religion and not be able to walk in the kingdom. So this is how it starts, and this is the source of where it comes from. So in verse 3, we're going to read verse 1. Now this is talking about, in the beginning, in the garden, it's talking about the fall of Adam and Eve. And so we're talking about deception, and we dealt with that on other broadcasts. So, but we're talking about this method. And in verse 3, verse 1, this is what it says. Let's read it together, okay? It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yes, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, we're not going to go deep into that story, but I wanted you to see that one word in there. It says that the serpent 
was more subtle. And so we've talked about that before. But let's define that again so we can get proper context about where we're going tonight. So if I said subtlety, that's S-U-B-T-I-L-I-T-Y. So the Latin root of subtle or subtlety originally means finely woven, and it was used to describe fabric. Did you get that? So the subtlety of an argument is in the fine weave of the words and thoughts that it is made up of. Now, in this scripture here, the enemy has used trickery with the way that he worded what he said. And the trickery is called subtlety. Did you get that? So subtlety is the method that is used to keep people bound up in religion and not ever see the reality of the kingdom. I'm going to say it one more time. Subtlety is the method that is used by religion to keep people bound where they will never see the reality of the kingdom of God. They won't be able to discern the kingdom message because it's subtlety. Think about that for a moment. People do religious observances without any real enjoyment of Christ. People do things because it's traditionally done. People do things and feel like they're doing what is right. Give an example. We may go to church on Sundays just because we feel like we got to go to church on Sunday. Some of us do. Some of us don't. Or we might go to an occasional Bible study because we feel like we need to go. Or we may do something because we're trying to, we're trying to give a place to we did the duty that we're supposed to do. And so the subtlety, what happens there is that you and I can begin to get tricked in our mind to think that we're doing something just because we're observing it or it's what we're supposed to do. But we have lost the meaning or the person behind why we do what we do. So the kingdom message is always the message that is going to be fought against. The kingdom message is always the message that is going to be warred and railed against. Why? Because it sets people free from bondage. The religious spirit will put people and has put people in bondage, and that's why we're in the mess that we're in today. So religion will kill you, but the kingdom will save you. And what I mean by that, I say you and I, family and friends, we've got to come out of religion and start walking in the kingdom. It's two different, it's two totally different worlds. Religion will have you going to church for 40 years and never getting free. Religion will have you attending conferences and running here and there, but never getting free. The kingdom message, Jesus said, is within you. So what that means for you and me is that we got to begin to go inside our own spirit and allow God to manifest the kingdom inside of our spirit. That's where the transformation takes place. And religion will always try to kill 
the kingdom message. Here's another example. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. No, I got you flipping a little bit in, in your Bible today, but we're going to go to Matthew chapter 26, just to give you another example. All right, you turn in there. Matthew chapter 26. All right, now I'm there. So this has to do with these people that were plotting to get rid of Jesus. So we'll start in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Verse 3, it says, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. Verse 4, it says, And what? What did they do? They consulted that they might take Jesus by, what's that word? Subtlety and kill him. You see that? There it is. Now, we're going to get one more here. I'm going to give another backup on what we're talking about just so you can know what we mean. Now, we understood from the beginning that the serpent is the most subtle of all creatures. We just read that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He was able to trick Eve and Adam in the, in the garden. He was able to trick them by using subtlety meaning that he used words and he weaved words really fine and he meshed these words together and he turned it around to where they didn't understand that they were being tricked. So he used subtlety. So it says that he is the master of subtlety. And this is what it says here. So let's go to Acts chapter 3, or chapter 13. Let's go there. And this will give you another piece of backdrop as to what we mean and what you and I got to learn how to war against. So 13. Now, in this particular passage, this is an individual who saw how some miracles were being performed. And he was a sorcerer. What does that mean? He was somebody that worked in the occult. He worked in magic. He worked in the dark arts. And there was a confrontation with him and Saul. So let's take this up. We're going to start in verse 7. All right, in 13. It says, uh, okay, so basically Paul and uh, Barnabas, they're making their way through. Okay, so it says, uh, when they had gone, let's start in verse 6. It says, when they had gone through the isle in Paphos, so they're in an island. It says, they found a certain sorcerer who was what? a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, who was a prudent man. And he called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to do what? He wanted to hear the word of God. That's what it said. So here was this person that was in leadership. He wanted to hear what? The kingdom message. That's what he wanted to hear. It says, but Elimus the sorcerer, for so was his name by interpretation. That's his name by interpretation. It said he did what? He withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Did you get that? I hope you got that. That means that anytime the kingdom message is coming your way, there will be those who are opposed to it and try to turn you away from it. 
And this is happening to so, so many people. So it says in verse 9, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with what? The Holy Ghost. He was filled with the Spirit. He set his eyes on this man. And he said to him, this is what he said, and this is what you got to pay attention to. He said, Oh, full of all subtlety. There's that word again. He said, you are full of subtlety and all mischief. Then look at what he called him. He said, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord. Did you get that? I hope you got that. So we got to understand from this that religion will always try to pervert or to make crooked the kingdom message. Because that's what Paul said to him. He said, he called him, he said, you full of subtlety. And he said, you a child of what? He said, you a child of the devil. In verse 3 and 1, the word said that the serpent was more subtle than any beast. So you understand the offspring and their behavior by looking at the parent where they came from. Did you get that? You understand the offspring and their behavior by looking at the parent and where the child came from. So there is an enemy of the kingdom message. And the enemy of the kingdom message is not going to be many times right in your face. It will get involved with things that you are doing, but keep you far from the reality of what the kingdom really is. Did you get that? And this is what is happening in many circles, in many churches, in many religious uh, convocations and gatherings and people coming together. We must be mindful that there are enemies of the kingdom message. The kingdom message is personal and it is corporate. Did you get that? It's personal and it's corporate because you are being grafted into a family dynamic and the kingdom is not observed by what you see on the outside. It's all about what's going on on the inside. So I hope you I hope you were able to digest that. Take this, replay this over again, read these scriptures over again. Because I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the kingdom message and the kingdom concept, the kingdom of God, this is not something that is a fly-by-night ordeal. This is a lifelong journey. If you want to be in this kingdom, you got to pledge your entire life to it because it is a process that you must go through to enter into it. And so we're doing what we know to do to lay out for you specific steps so that you can walk into the reality of the kingdom of God and know what this kingdom message is really about. But in order to do that, you got to know that there are enemies that oppose you getting into the kingdom. People would love no more than for you to stay trapped in religion and never see Christ. 
Did you get that? You can stay trapped in religion and never see Christ because religion is the antithesis of the kingdom of God. Religion is the adversary of the kingdom of God. So we understand what religion is. Now, I know in the word of God, in, in the book of James, it said pure religion and undefiled. So take the terminology and understand what he's saying. He did say pure. So he's talking about the purity. He's talking about doing things with Christ as the centerpiece of everything that we do. So we'll continue on because, like I said, this is not something that you can just drive up to the, to, to the drive through window and get a quick order of the kingdom message. It does not happen like that. I'm sorry it just doesn't. If it did, then I guess everybody would be in line to get this. But this kingdom message is a process, family and friends. It is a lifelong process. It took me years to even get born into this kingdom concept. After searching through everything that I knew to search through, went through all different types of religions, all different types of faiths, studied all different types of stuff, got immersed in all different types of things, looking for the reality of the kingdom of God. That was my own journey. Yours might be different, but that's what happened for me. And so I came to understand that this kingdom is a person. His name is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in him is everything that you would ever want to have and that you need to pertain to life. In him is everything. And I do mean everything. So, my name is James Fox, and I pray that you have been enlightened. I pray that tonight something has stirred in your spirit. I pray that tonight you have been uh, empowered and that this has done something to you in the inside of your being to where you can take this word and be able to dig it out for yourself. Now, we are on every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It has been an awesome time with you. Thank you for joining us. We will see you again. We look forward to seeing you in the upcoming year. Look for some exciting broadcast to be on this radio network. We pray your strength in the Lord. Be blessed. Have an excellent night. We'll see you soon. The Defender is an online radio broadcast geared toward teaching the Word of God. Our aim is to present the scriptures of the Bible in an informative, systematic process that exalts the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We strive for the inerrant and accurate interpretation of the scriptures by revelation from the Holy Spirit. We are established to give His counsel as pertains to what He has revealed in His Word. Tune in next time for The Defender. The Defender is copyright by James Fox Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.